There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Tom Daly, and this is Made With Love. As a pro diver, I thought I knew all about making the thing you love the thing you do. But en route to the Olympic podium, I found a new passion outside of the pool that helped me unlock my power within it. That passion was knitting. And you may think this sounds bonkers, but I believe knitting made me an Olympic champion. I've since swapped swimming trunks for slip stitches, pikes for patterns and chlorine for cables. Knitting is a huge part of my life now, and I'm determined to help others do more of what they love too. So each week, a brilliant guest will be joining me to talk about turning passion into purpose, how they've made the thing they love a central part of what they do, and crucially, what lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, it's Tom here and a big warm welcome back to Made With Love. Today's episode is a bit different because I'm actually on location. I'm currently sat in the luxurious surroundings of McLaren's Formula One Technology Center in Surrey. And I'm here to chat to a man who lives life in the fast lane and has done since he was seven years old. F1 racing driver Lando Norris was karting world champion by the age of 14 and just five years later he was lining up on the grid at the Australian Grand Prix as the youngest Formula One driver in British history. The following year Lando bagged himself a spot on the podium with a third place finish, the highest McLaren had finished in a race since 2016. He's returned to the podium several times since then and he heads into the new 2023 season as the British team's number one driver. Lando doesn't just do all his talking on the track, though. He also advocates for increased mental health visibility in sport. And when not on the track or in the simulator, you'll find him on Twitch. And I've heard he absolutely loves gaming. Perhaps these are some of the ways he stays passionate about the thing he loves, despite the high stakes and scrutiny in Formula One. Let's find out for ourselves, shall we? This is my chat with Lando Norris. So, Lando, we are at the McLaren Technology Center. Yep. How much time do you actually spend here? Oof. During the winter, as little as possible. Okay. <laughs> uh, but during the season, a lot of time. Before and after every race, pretty much. Uh, I'll have my race, fly back here. We'll do all the debriefs. We go through everything. I do simulator. I do preparation for the next weekend. So probably one or two days, at least a week, when we're traveling for the races. So another home for me. And this might be a little bit of a curveball, but... I hear that you like Capri Sun. Yes. Is that true? It is. So I actually brought you a Capri Sun (laughs) and not just a Capri Sun for you to be able to use. Oh, you've done it. I've made you a little... You knitted it? um, Yeah, this is like a crocheted Capri Sun case for you to (laughs) be able to wear around you. So you've always got your Capri Sun at the ready. (laughs) 
And keep it nice and warm, you know. Keep yeah, nice exactly. You got to keep it warm. It's you know. Thank the you nice so much. Thing about wool is it keeps things just like it regulates the temperature. And oh, it does. Well, kind of. I say. That, okay, but, okay. You know. Thank but, you so much. Yeah. What do you like about Capri Sun? Is it? Oh, I mean, I just the thing is, I've had it since I was a kid. Yeah. It was like when I used to travel with my dad and my brother karting when we first ever started. I didn't know about the nutrition side and being fit and all of this. So it was like every evening. It'll be pizza and Capri Sun. That was the way I... <laughs> I love that. It's pretty different to what I am now. But uh, yeah, this was my my dinners. Was um, Just what I loved was pizza and Capri Sun every single evening. Oh. And uh, that made me drive faster because I, mean, I always wanted pizza and Capri Sun every evening. So It sounds good. It was just uh, what I what I grew up with, you know. So I'll leave it in shot here. <laughs> Do you have to watch what you eat now, being yeah. a driver? Yeah, so I have... Uh, actually, it's just next door. I have my box of uh, every few days... A guy called Craig delivers all my food. Uh, he has done for the last few years. So he knows what I like, what I don't like. But it's all stuff that, you know, I'll be deficient in because I don't like fish. Okay. Don't like salmon. Don't like any of that. So omega-3 I lack in a lot. So he'll come up with ways that I can eat it without kind of knowing or tasting hey. it and things like that. So, And I need to be fit. I want to be fit, you know. Uh, although I have like five kilos that I can put on and won't make a difference. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a minimum weight. Okay. So there's no advantage for me over someone who's slightly heavier than me. What is the minimum weight? So it's 80 kilos with the seat. With the seat. And with how the much seat. does the seat weigh? Uh, well, now I'm really you testing you now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it can, I mean, if you do a proper seat and make it as light as possible, it can be easily just one, one two kilos. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you, you say like 78 ish is okay. as heavy as you would want to be as a driver with all the kit on and everything um, and I'm like 74 so maybe okay. I got like 4 kilos to okay you got a little bit of room to I got, so I maybe you can, can have the old pizza I can pizza. have some more pizzas and okay fine so how does the training work because obviously there's lots of time when you're spending you know in a car yeah. I assume or in yeah. simulators but like what do you do outside of the actual racing so motorsport is a very unique sport and, and way that you're going to have to train the, the biggest thing is is the neck neck strength is probably the, one of the biggest things as a Formula 1 driver you have to deal with Especially even growing up since karting mm. was something that I struggled with because when I was small I mean I was like I was teeny <laughs> and uh, and skinny and everything so uh, I struggled a lot physically growing up in every ladder you know it gets harder more physical and so on and I was always playing catch up I'm fine now but I was playing catch up for many years and uh, neck strength is the biggest thing because it's one of the few things in the car that's not supported by anything mm. everything else you know like the seats molded to me and my wow. my legs are like in a tunnel with foam and padding and it's so comfortable. I fall asleep a lot of the time. Is it actually comfortable? Yeah, I love it. Okay. I love it. But um, the only thing that's not got like a, a, a straight support is my head. We have supports, but they're like, you know, 20, 30 millimeters, three centimeters away. So we can move a little bit, but I don't like, say if I turn right, I don't like if my head like leans on this headrest because then my vision goes out and it's, oh, it's a mess. So you have to get used to you know, resisting that and just keeping your head in the same position. So that's the biggest thing that I have to work on, um, which is like a harness. Looks like it's like a Fifty Shades of Grey kind of thing, you know? Um, <laughs> in the red room. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my, my trainer will pull on it and, uh, you know, I'm just resisting. And it's a horrible thing. Like, mm. next a horrible thing to train, but it's the most important. And then the rest is like core and endurance, you know, two hours in a car is quite a long time. It's similar in diving, actually, whenever I had to do, like, we just, we used to have this coach where you would have to, like, lean forward and they put their yeah. hand on your forehead and you just had to, like, stay there and hold it. Yeah. For, like, and then from the side. So I guess when you're, you're, yeah. you're spinning, like, 
Yeah, I don't know what the G-force actually is. It must be, I reckon, a decent amount. But uh, probably a lot, but we only have to hold, that's 1.6 seconds from... From top the, to bottom. Yeah, so, I mean, I okay. guess there might... Sure. You're holding it for like two hours. And like, <laughs> True. Each turn is like Basically, pretty... Uh, yeah. It's a different, different way of doing it, but it's probably a similar thing, you know. You don't want to just like relax and let go. You need mm. to be able to be in control of everything, so... And no matter how much you train, like how much is down to the driver compared to the car? Big question. <laughs> Big question. Let's just say until you get to Formula One, a huge amount of it is m like more driver than than car. So like, cars are always important. You know, it's probably one of the few sports in the world where it's not solely about the athlete mm. or about the driver. Um, you need something good to go with the driver, which is the equipment. So you, you always have this balance. Um, but until you get to Formula One, more than anything, it's about the drivers. Mm. When you get into Formula One. There's even more free range with what teams can do with a car. So then you do actually have even bigger differences than in Formula 2, Formula 3, Formula 4, karting and, and so on. So that's why you see teams normally separated by, by teams rather than everything being a big mix. Which is a little bit of a shame, but it's also just the way motorsport is sometimes. So I don't know what a number would be, 70-30 or 50-50. Yeah. But obviously there's two cars per team. The most comparable thing between one driver is his teammate. Mm. Everyone, everyone knows that. So my pure level and and a guy to come like not compete slash work against, yeah, uh, work with is uh, is my teammate is is Oscar this year. So uh, that's always the best person to compare to. But then, if you know inside exactly how much the car is slower than other teams, then you can kind of compare even more. So when you say you're competing with and yeah. or working with, yeah, yeah. so is beating your teammate almost like really winning the race because you're. I, I wouldn't say so because enough teams are close enough that you're still targeting to beat other people. And my target every race is not just beat my teammate or anything like that. I guess my target is to be a world champion in Formula One. So a lot of it, like at this current time, is is a team game. I don't. I'm not really satisfied if I finish P8 or P9. And at times you've got to be satisfied with it and happy with it. But I know if I want to win a race in 2024, 2025, the best thing is just to work, you know, in harmony as a team as much as you can. So you're helping each other out. You're working together. You're you're doing whatever you can as a team, because you want to reach that goal to be in a position to win a world championship. Mm. Maybe then things get a little bit more tense. You know, mm. you always see things get more tense between, you know, Lewis and Rosberg in, in a few years ago, and it always gets more tense up the, at the very top when you're fighting for race wins and podiums and so on. But um, no, everything in my career so far is I'm very much a team player. Like team is my motivation. You know, I want to do well for them rather than solely for myself. It's tough to describe because mm. every driver is in Formula One for themselves. It's my career. I need to do the best I can for myself. But at the same time, you have a teammate. So like, you want to beat everyone. That includes your teammate. But at the same time, you want to work with them. You want to give your team the best opportunity to make the car quicker and, and so forth. Does that make the relationship a little bit tricky sometimes? It, it hasn't. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I think I have a very good reputation of working well with my teammates. I feel like I can generally find a very good balance of having enough respect that you know you always kind of you kind of want to beat each other and every everyone knows that in formula one but at the same time enough respect that when you get out the car you can you can talk you can be friends whatever and i wouldn't say anyone in formula one is necessarily best friends with another but you can get along you know mm -hmm. like uh, with carlos i play golf you know with him and we do some things together we used to play on the simulator together so we have similar interests and then you can get along but when you put the, the helmet on, when the race suit's on, 
there's nothing more that you want to do mm. than to beat one another. So, yeah. yeah, you have to get that balance right. I mean, it's competition at the end of the day, isn't it? Like, you, exactly. if you, you want to win. You Everyone wanna be, wants to win. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You but it's it. good. And then once you finish a race, or yeah. once you finish training, what is your, like, post-race wind-down routine? <sighs> well, straight after the race, you just got a lot of TV, media. You got debriefs. Uh, you know, you got probably normally a good 30 minutes to an hour of, of debriefing everything in the race. Normally, when I get a massive chicken burger come through. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you know, normally after the races, you're starving. You, really? Like, I don't eat a lot on race day just because I have of nerves and I've never been a big eater. You know, I have a very small breakfast. It would be like poached eggs on toast or something, some <laughs> avocado. And lunch would be like a little chicken wrap. I've had the same lunch probably the last two or three years, I would say. Really? Because I found one thing I love and I just stick to it. And that's all I have, you know, is like, like a chicken teriyaki with some pineapple, some little thing that I love. Gives me a good amount of energy and, and carbs or whatever it is. But then uh, I stay kind of go racing. But then after I'm literally starving, you're thirsty, whatever. And um, so I get a massive amount of food come through. Some pancakes sometimes as well. Little mm-hmm. pancakes and some blueberries and things like that. And uh, and then wherever we're off to next is probably, you know, do the debrief. We're probably flying within a couple of hours wherever the, the next race is or back here or, or so forth. So it's busy. It's normally chaos. But um, everything's structured. Everything's planned within Formula One. You know, it's mm. never never normally a mess. And you're able to have... I'm obsessed with this chicken wrap that you're talking about. Like, yeah. I actually kind of want to try oh, this. I like, wish I could have it right Are you now. a pineapple on pizza person then if you have I'm pineapple? I'm not, I'm not. You're I'm not. not? Like, it's it's finely diced pineapple. Okay. You know, if it's too much, I feel like it's too fruity and okay. desserty. Um, but it's just like tiny, tiny pieces that just adds a little bit of a... little bit of juice to it and a bit of flavor. So what would happen if that wrap wasn't there? Like, the person making it for oh, you was... Oh, I wouldn't there. drive. <laughs> you wouldn't drop. I'm, I'm out I'm no out. no chicken and pineapple wrap it's over exactly okay wow okay fair enough now I want to take you back to when you first started growing up you grew up in the west country I'm, yep. I'm a west country lad I grew uh-huh. up in Sorry, well, I grew yeah. up in Plymouth so even further down into the west country and you talk about competition and yep. you've got two siblings right one older brother and two younger sisters okay so you've got lots Four of, of siblings okay yeah. wow was that competitive growing up uh, it was so I raced with my brother and we raced all the way until the point that I moved into car racing mm. and then he went to set up his own business and he works with my dad and so on. So it was competitive, but to a point because he was older than me, he was generally always in the category above me. Uh, and the only time we ever really raced against each other was in our first year or two years of racing uh, and also in my very final year of, of racing okay. go-karts. Did you was, beat him? It was, it was split. <laughs> okay. Uh, he's a much taller. Okay. Um, but like we were the contrast. He was very tall as a kid uh, and I was very small. And being small helps in certain conditions. Being taller helps in certain conditions. And, uh, and he was quite tall. So actually, I think in, in qualifying battles, he actually beat me. So uh, it was one, two for my brother and, and I. And he, he was very good in those conditions. And I wasn't as good uh, at the time. But then when it was dry, then it kind of came a little bit more to my ad- mm. advantage. So um, it was tough because we we wanted to beat each other and I supported my brother and he supports me uh, to a huge, huge extent. But he just didn't have the same mm. love for car racing, maybe quite as much as what I did. Um, so then he went down a slightly different path. But it was competitive. My sisters do horse riding and my younger sister, she's the brains of the family, you know. <laughs> um, everything that I miss, uh, my brother misses all went pretty much to my sisters. They're the clever okay. ones. So, um, yeah, she's done very well in school and uh, she's still choosing whatever she wants to do. 
Yeah. It's funny you say that because when I first started diving, I started at the same time as my brother and yeah. he was two years younger than me and he was always better than me. Oh, really? And then he just randomly quit because he didn't want to do it anymore. Damn. But yeah, crazy how the similarities Damn. in families. When did you first discover your passion for racing? Well, I would say I discovered it very young. I discovered my passion for racing probably when I was four, four years old. My mom made me do horse riding before that. How was that? I didn't discover much passion <laughs> in okay. the horse riding. It was cool, but I was scared of heights and being like four oh. years old. It was, I mean, it was like, that was high for me. Yeah. And uh, and I wasn't, I didn't enjoy that too much. But then I loved motorbikes. I loved MotoGP. My hero was Valentino Rossi. And he's the guy which inspired me to get into racing, to start on motorbikes and get into motorsport uh, as, a, as a general. And I had my first quad bike when I was four years old for my birthday. So it was the first time I got on something with an engine and wheels. And my dad sold it shortly after oh, without man. selling me because it was getting too dangerous and I was going like two wheels and oh. didn't want me to hurt myself. So he sold it, said it got stolen, lied to me. <laughs> um, and uh, Classic. Somehow safer to get a motorbike. So I think for my sixth birthday, got a motorbike and I love this. Loved it, would spend every day on it, just to like around the garden, put some cones out, make a little course. Mm. And, and I loved it, but then I had a big crash. Uh, and I had a crash and just wanted to stop for a little bit. Oh, no. And then we went to go and watch a karting race one day uh, in Yeovil, the British Championships. And it was my first time ever going to watch like a, an event of any sort. And as soon as I watched it, I was like, Dad, I want to have a go. <laughs> so um, I tried it. Uh, I got a, a Bambino go-kart, like a tiny, tiny go-kart for my seventh birthday. And everything that I loved about Quad bikes and motorbikes went out the window mm. and all of it went into karting. And that was the moment I, I fell in love. And what did you like about it? I think just the, the adrenaline, the speed, the constant strive for perfection. Mm. There's so many variables in it. It's, it's so difficult to ever achieve something perfect in it. But you always feel close. So mm. it always gives you that, that little rush of that was so close to being what I think is perfect. And you constantly strive to try and achieve that in every single corner and every breaking zone and so on. The speed and then uh, the competition. Mm. I am a competitive guy and I hate losing. So you put it all together. And I love being in control. I hate I hate being out of control. So like I hate being a passenger in a car. Mm. I, I really hate it. Unless I'm like backseat, you know, headphones on, watching a movie. Um, I'm a terrible, terrible passenger because I don't oh. feel in control of, yeah. of what's happening. Being completely in control of what I do turning left, turning right, braking, throttle, whatever. I love to be able to do that. So being the, the driver, being the pilot, then that gives me that control. Did you pass your driving test first time? Practical, yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't fail the theory. Uh -huh. How many times did it take you to just, do the theory? Just one. I just failed first time. Oh. I've never been so sad in my life. It wasn't the hazard perception part, was it? No. But yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's when you need more brains. and That's just what I struggled with at the oh. time. But... Second time, uh, practical, I passed first time. So with flying colors, actually. So. Okay, good. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm, you have like full marks. I, was exactly. like, I just assumed that you were just going to... I feel like if you're a, that good of a driver, they just give you a license. But I guess you can't drive I wish. Like no, I road. wish. I wish. Actually, when I started, I struggled. Because I, I find it more scary driving on the road than I do in Formula 1. Really? I guess there's more people. More people. They drive the opposite direction. Mm. Um you feel like most people probably shouldn't have a license. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I get scared. I get scared with that. So I'm more scared, yeah, driving on a road because I don't trust the people that I'm around yeah. or whatever than I do when I'm on a racetrack. I feel much more at home and safer there. Makes sense. And I love the fact that you started with like 
the most traditional form of any kind of transport, like on horses. Yeah. And then came down to like bikes and then went, you know, which is kind of like riding like a miniature pony. Like she you know. Kind of. <laughs> kind yeah, the way of. you sit, it's yeah. like as similar as it gets. And then you get down onto your the floor, basically, when yes. you're in a go-kart. It got lower and lower. Yeah. But what did your like parents think? Like, you know, it's a dangerous yeah. sport to be involved. Uh, I mean, my dad was fully supportive of it. Like he loves it. Uh, he loved it since he was a kid. So probably a little bit of it came from there that my dad loved it. Uh, he had the passion for racing. But he couldn't afford to do it when he was younger. Uh, you know, and, and racing is expensive. Mm -hmm. It's an expensive sport to get into. So when he could share that passion, it was with my brother and, and myself when we got into it. So he could then be at the racetracks and support us and help us. And he also loved it at the same time. So he shared his passion with me. Uh, we used to watch it on TV and things like that. So then that's how it continued at the same time. And have you always been a fan? Because I recently saw you, well, not so recently, but you posted that picture of you and Vettel when he retired. Yeah. And that was, that was cute. Uh, the one of me in like... Yeah, when you were so little. Damn. I don't, know what, <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember exactly what year that was. I think that's when he won the championship. So it was like 2012 or something, 13. Wow. But yeah, that was like, that was still me and my, like, wow, I'm, I'm with Seb or mm. Fernando, Lewis. You know, that was still when I was in the fanboy stage. Yeah. But yeah, I, I've loved it for so many years. So when it was when I get to these opportunities, it was insane. And then it's weird. Like for me, what's still really weird is that I'm now racing against these guys. I don't know if Seb's retired, but the last two years, three years, four years, I was racing against him. Mm. Um, I was racing against people that when I first ever watched Formula One, it was when Fernando and Lewis were here in McLaren. They were the biggest rivals, although the teammates, they were the biggest rivals of each other. And that's what got me into it. And I actually started supporting McLaren mainly because they looked the coolest, not because of anything else. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got into it. And now I'm here racing against Lewis, racing against Fernando mm -hmm. uh, and Seb. So it's for me, it's really weird to think of it like that. But at the same time, it's pretty special. Yeah. I mean, you became karting world champion at the age of 14, yeah. which is so incredibly young. I mean, then it kind of doesn't really become an after school club anymore. No, that was my, it was my life by, by that point. School was... Yeah. I mean, I was so in love with, you know, it's all I could think about in school. I mm. think when you you have such a passion for something, you love it as much as you do, like I did. And it's the one thing you want to do every single day. Mm. I think that's when you see people, you know, put every bit of effort into it um, and then go and go on to achieve good things, you know. So um, it was it was tough because I had to like choose, you know, my life at school and my friends at school um, became more and more distant. And like a lot of my friends now are the guys that I grew up with in karting because I spent a lot more days away at a racetrack than I ever did when I was back at home with my school friends and so on. So my life really went from, let's say, kind of normal to pretty much always being away, mm. um, meeting new people, them, they, those guys becoming my friends um, and the guys that I pretty much grew up with since I was a kid. So, um, yeah, I, I guess a different way of growing up comparing to a lot of people. Mm. But um I had the passion, I had the love for it, and it's all I wanted to do every single day. Um, and I had my goal of becoming a Formula One driver and becoming a Formula One world champion. So th that was a thing driving that every single day. Uh, who was channeling that passion when you were growing up? It was my my dad. My mum was always like, my mum has been always very supportive of it, but she's, you know, she's my mum. She's the one that looks out for my safety and gets scared yeah. about me doing all of these things. Yeah. But in the end of the day, she knew like how much I loved it. So she went along with it and, and she was very supportive of every, everything. But my dad was the one who took my brother and I to every single race mm. for like 
I don't know what it was, like five years. He drove us or we flew together to every single race and he was there every single one. So he was the guy that, so he was the guy which, you know, that I first of all wanted to do well for. You know, mm. I wanted to make my dad proud because he put so much time and effort into us uh, as brothers. That's the guy, first of all, I wanted to repay the favor to was, uh, was my dad, shortly behind my mom. Yeah. And I feel like now I've repaid everything, you know, and all that time and effort he put in. Now I'm in Formula One and, and doing relatively well. I can thank him for every, everything from that. Yeah, my dad was exactly the same. He used to have this giant like British flag that he would wave in the yeah. audience and you didn't just know where, where he was, was at all times. So, I mean, your dad must have been so incredibly proud when you signed with McLaren yeah. back in 2017 and you did your first Formula One Grand Prix. Like, mm -hmm. Tell me about that. How was that? Uh, insane. Yeah. Insane. Like my head blew up. There's so many things to think about. Mm. So many like strategies and buttons and switches you got to remember and my head just was blowing up you know mm -hmm. uh then you have all the pressure the nerves which kick in you're like this is my chance in formula one there's, there's 20 spaces in formula one you know every other sport at the top level you kind of have hundreds of people mm -hmm. thousands of people you know you have football teams and there are top teams but formula one is literally 20 drivers so it's probably one of the hardest sports in the world to reach that top level and yeah australia melbourne mm -hmm. difficult track but qualifying went really, really well. I think I was like P8 in, in qualifying, um, which was pretty amazing. But it's just blowing up. And at the same time, I, I struggled at this time a lot with self-confidence. As much as everyone says, like, you know, you can't. Like, it was something I, I really struggled with growing up. When I entered Formula 1 for that first year and a bit, was, uh, am I good enough to be here? Like, that's the question I always mm -hmm. ask myself. I'm a very honest guy with myself, like, brutal on myself with, with honesty when I've done a good job versus when I've done a bad job. So I made my own life very difficult from that perspective. But uh, I, I struggled with that confidence. So when I had a moment like this, and I'm like, damn, you know, I feel like I've done a good job here and I, I deserved this spot. But there's also times when I didn't do so well. But that first race was like, let's just get it out of the way, uh, mm -hmm. do the best. I think I ended up P11 or something. So maybe it wasn't my best race, but a lot of relief post-race because I'm like, I just completed my first race in Formula 1. But the build-up to it was massive. Just so many nerves, so much pressure. And as much as you tell yourself, oh, there's no pressure, and everyone wants to tell you that there's no pressure, pressure just comes from within, you know, you mm -hmm. put it on yourself. But uh, when I got it out of the way, I was like the happiest and it was um, a very, very special moment, especially when the lights are coming on. You're like, this is my first race in Formula One. Yes. I was like, damn, I just forgot everything I needed to do. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, just accelerator. <laughs> exactly. Like all the simple things are just like out the window and just, yeah. your mind's blowing up. Yeah. But it's also just what I, I've grown up doing and I, was, I feel like born to do was when those red lights go out, then react and you start racing. And it was special. It was very special. And I still remember like pretty much every moment of the race. But yeah, also cool to see how far I've come since mm. then. And how have you dealt with the pressure and being able to balance that pressure and that expectation with also enjoying it and still yeah. loving it at the same time? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that was the big thing. And that was the one I struggled with in mm. the beginning. I put so much of that pressure and, and so on on myself. I lost a little bit of the just, I'm here to just enjoy every mm. moment, which I think, kind of does happen because when I started racing, I started racing because uh, I just love it. Mm -hmm. And I still love it, but if I stopped, it's just because I didn't love it. Now I still love it, but it's also, it's turned into what is called a job. I don't think, I, I can't, I cannot ever call my sport a job or doing what I do a job because I don't feel like, uh, apart from some media and so on, 
Uh, this and marketing <laughs> this is uh, the work part <laughs> <laughs> like this is cool you know like when i get to meet special people yeah. and and things like that like this is cool this is a perk of the job i would mm. say but um it's it's special so you got to remember all of those things mm. and you've also got to think like where i've come from to where i am now and how many other people i've gone up against and managed to beat and so on so yeah it, it was a struggle at first but then just kind of remembering why i'm doing it mm. why i love the sport what i enjoy so much about it and as soon as you kind of get into those few races where you do well, then like it really kicked off my confidence. And um, a bit of it just comes with experience. Like once you get five, six, seven, eight races under your belt, that starts to move forward. But like I said, I was always tough on myself. So that always made it harder. Mm. But I had a very good group of people around me from my manager, my trainer, my dad, my mum, my team, you know, the guys that I work with here. Always very, very supportive of how they can be there for me and support me and help me through I guess the good times, but also the bad times. Mm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Being an athlete myself, I'm really interested in the psychology of like what on earth goes through your head when you're sat there like on that starting grid and you're like about to just be have all of this machinery weaving in and out of the, yeah. like must be intense. What goes through your head? I think what's so difficult with it is to a certain point you just cannot plan for it. Mm. You know, because every driver's got their own idea of what they want to try and do. So you plan for as much as many things as you can, which is you know. To focus on my launch, focus on, on my focus on my reaction, doing all of my procedures perfectly until that point. The rest, you know, you have no idea what's going to happen. So, like now, I'm actually, you know, with the experience, with the time, you learn to be a lot more relaxed about all of it, you know. And now I'm on the grid, or sometimes I'm racing, and I'm just, you know, I look into the grandstand, or you see a bird fly past, you look at the bird, whatever it is. <laughs> like you get to the point now where I I can easily change from doing one thing to focusing on what I have to focus on. Before was, I could only focus on what I had to focus like on. Tunnel vision. Like it's complete yeah. tunnel vision. Also with that time and experience, you learn what's best for you, like what works best for you. Um, your routines, the, the people you speak to, uh, what helps you and what doesn't help you. And I think that's very important when you get to that top level is you have to be selfish to a certain extent. You can't just say yes to everything. You have to know what works for you and what doesn't because there's the 19 other drivers which also going to be doing everything that they can to beat you and to be better than you and not just in terms of driving but in every form that you can possibly try to be better than someone they're probably doing it so you have to turn into a bit of a selfish guy uh but not in a bad way but just in terms of knowing 
what's going to help you? What do you want to make yourself better? And what's going to allow you to be better than the rest of them? And it's a hard one because I'm not, I don't believe I'm like a selfish guy or I'm a bad guy or, or any of that. You gotta, you gotta turn into a bit of it. Everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to win, and you gotta be selfish enough to wanna, wanna do it, especially at the, at the very top. So, that's something I had to learn and kind of grow into and take on board. So now I know what really works for me. So when I'm on the grid, you know who I want to speak to, who I don't want to speak to, the bits of information that I, I really need, the bits of information that aren't so important, and the bits that I just don't want anyone to talk to me about. So I learn all my own procedures, my own routines. And that allows me to go from, you know, being fairly relaxed and just, you know, helmet off, talking to whoever in the car, helmet on. These are all the things I now got to achieve. Mm-hmm. And now my head's able to be very clear with this is plan A, this is what I got to do to achieve this, plan B, and so on. So first it was chaos and my head was yeah. full of everything. Now it's it's very structured and very clear on what I got to do. Are any of the things that you've learned within Formula One been able to be like transferred into your everyday life? Uh, uh, I guess the easy one is just work ethic. You know, it's easy to get complacent in in every way of life, but in Formula One, you can't get complacent in in any way. And that's like for everyone that works here, uh, every bit of the car needs to try and be better than the other cars. Every bit of my driving needs to be better than other drivers. So as soon as one little bit gets complacent, that can easily spread and that can easily lead to a lack of results. So being on top of all of those things is very important, but also having a good group of people around me, mm. people who are very supportive, who are there for you, have your best interests at heart. And I guess there's also things I love to do and like you know, I have my own my own esports company, uh, my own esports team uh, outside of Formula One, something completely separate. So I know like the people that are good for it. So I feel like I'm, I know more people that are good and people that aren't so good. Mm. But also just uh, the way of uh, enjoying enjoying life. Mm. It's easy to fall into that trap of kind of focusing so much that you lose some of the enjoyment from things. And that's one of the things I learned over the years of Formula One is at times you've got to remind yourself of yeah. not just the position that I'm in, because that's that's an obvious one, but why I'm doing it, you know? Mm. And remember, like, you focus, but at the same time, you've got to just really enjoy every, every, every moment. Because it's easy just to be so tunnel visioned away from it that you forget it a little bit. Yeah, And that's something I bring back into a lot of other things that I do. With, uh, with my company or the people I work with or with any hobby that I have yeah, is that I do it, but then why am I doing it? And mm. make sure I, I remind myself of that. And does that like competitive spirit transfer itself outside of the track as well? Oh, with too many things. <laughs> okay, come on, yeah. let's get some examples going. I mean, all of my, <laughs> so like I said earlier, like all of my friends are racing, are, like the racing guys. Okay. So they all have a very similar mentality. So yeah. when we do whatever it is, if we're filming for things, we're doing... Uh, I'm a. I love golf, so I'm a big golfer. So you can't get many things more competitive than golf. <laughs> um, and I play with my friends. So in each and probably every aspect of life that you can compete, or even if you don't think you're competing subconsciously, you're competing against him. You're like, damn, I got to do better than this guy. Whether you're going for a run or you're doing exercises, trying to be healthier, uh, we're playing golf, we're doing different sports, paddle, like anything where you think like. I just want to be a little bit better than this guy. I love paddle as well. I love paddle. So uh, especially in the sun. And now it's a bit chilly. For me, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, whatever aspect of life, I can try and be better than someone. Even if you're playing games online or something, I have to beat the guys. I hate losing. Yeah. I hate p- 
people was looking at me and going, ah, oh, he lost to that guy. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, I never related me. so much to something in my it life. It really annoys me. So I never want to do something when I know like I've not practiced and they've yeah. practiced and I, I feel like that's not fair. No, exactly. But uh, yeah, pretty much every way of life, I'm competitive. So who's better at golf, you or Carlos? Look, <laughs> I'm almost a very, I'm also a very honest guy. So this one does go to Carlos. Mm. But he started years and years and years and years ago. <laughs> um, I started golfing COVID okay. uh, during COVID. So I'm still, let's say, fairly new to the world of golf. So he still beats me, but he has, you know, years and years and years and years and years more experience than me. So, Emphasis on the years and years yeah, just and years and big years. brackets, bold, underlined, <laughs> okay. italic. So give give you a few more years and you'll you'll be you're catching up to him. I'm catching up slowly. Improving. Thing is, he still does a lot of it. And he still okay. plays a lot and yeah. he's racing, he's competitive. So he knows that I'm trying to like catch up to him. So he doesn't want me to and all this, okay. but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Good. Well, I think you have become the master of this. And this is kind of what the podcast is about, is being able to take the thing that you love yeah. and make it the thing that you do yeah. every day. So what advice would you give to anyone that wanted to make their passion, their purpose every day? I think you can always use that point. Remember that you love doing what you're mm. doing and you're doing it for that reason. And I think for me, my motivation, I want to do well in racing, changed from solely me wanting to uh, win for myself. And of course, you know, I got to be selfish and I do want to win for myself mm. and prove that I'm better than others. But my motivation is also for my team. So I want to do very well for my team. Um, so you've got to find the right thing that motivates you to want to do even better in whatever you're you're doing. Um, whether it is solely for yourself, you know, you want to accomplish it and, and know that you've done the best you can. I think it's always important to have that clear goal and I guess make sure you're enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Like try and find the fun in it. If you, if you kind of lose it, which is possible to do sometimes, find the fun and enjoyment or do it with friends, whatever. Because for me, that's always been very important is to have my good group of friends or my family or you know my team around me mm -hmm to always um, support me and keep pushing me through the, through the hard times. Yeah, I was going to say, what is it that gets you through those hard times? It can be many different things. It can be my fans, you know, yeah. my supporters, my dad, my mom, uh, my brothers, sisters, my team here. Uh, and I always have this very good group of people who, especially like my, my manager, my trainer, mm. they pretty much travel with me uh, and I work with almost every single day of my life. And I have done for like the last... 10, 10 years with them. Mm. So they know pretty much everything about me. Yeah, They know like when I'm happy, when I'm sad, you know, what, what pushes me, what motivates me, what doesn't. Um, they know when I'm in a mood, when I'm not. So having those people that, that are there to help you and be honest with you, for me, has been very, very important. Mm. So those are the guys that are there for me, uh, especially because, you know, I started at a young age, mm. you know, at, at 10, 11, 12, 13, it's easy to just get lost and, fall into many traps. So having those people there to to guide you and support you, uh, be there for you when the, you have the, the tough times, for me was was crucial mm -hmm. in order to be in a good position now. I mean, speaking of people that have helped you, each podcast, I ask people to do like a little made with love letter, which is uh, not necessarily something that you have to have written out, something yeah, yeah, you can yeah. be thinking of. And it's to, I guess, practicing a little bit of gratitude yes. to either a person, place, thing. Yeah, a little bit of a letter of, Love and what's made what's made you with love, basically. I mean, I'd have to go to my mum. My mum, you know, all the time that my dad's taken me away, my mum's been the one at home, 
looking after my sisters, keeping also a lot of things I, you know, she did all my washing. Um, <laughs> she she did also so much for me growing growing up, and and she would love if I gave her a little shout out. On she always asks me to, like, uh, in the middle of an interview, just say hi, mom, oh, uh, or whatever, you know. So and what, what's her name? Uh, Siska. 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 I just call her mum. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, nice so I'll, I'll write it to to mum and I'll say it to mum. Like, do I, you want me to say it? Yeah, go for it. Damn, I'm not good at making up stuff on the spot. But um, hi mum, hi Siska. Uh, <laughs> I want to say a big thank you, massive thank you, for all of the times that uh, you dealt with me. I wasn't a very good kid. Um, all the times that you dealt with me and all the help support that you gave me when I was a little boy to make me into the person that I am now and also for supporting me in the job that I do spending so much time away from you my sisters everyone and for just making me the the guy that I am today because I think I'm a good guy uh, and I try to be and a lot of that is uh, is because of you so thanks mom I love you I'm sorry I don't text you as much as I should and I miss you Oh, big shout out to Siska. That's so sweet. It's so nice. I've gone to... red now. No, you shouldn't go red. You know, the thing is, I find it exactly this. I traveled all around the world with my dad and, tra- and my mum used to stay at home and look after my yeah. brothers. And you yeah. don't, you know, sometimes, especially when they're staying at home, they don't get the recognition they, they deserve. They don't, they don't. So now you're going to have to call her after this. Yeah, uh-huh. you, know that, you know that. That's going to be your reminder today. I, I, will. To... I will. I'll call my mum later. Don't yeah, worry. it's so it's so nice to hear you speak about your mum like that and the people that have helped you behind the scenes. Yeah, like what kind of things does she do now to support you? What does she do? I mean, she still does so much from uh, from the few times that I see her. You know, because uh, I don't I don't live here anymore, so I see her even less than what I did mm. the past few years. Um, and I moved out. I lived alone since I was, you know, like 16, 16 years old, but. She's always there for me for whatever I got to, you know, whatever my troubles are, or whatever I struggle with. And my dad are always there for, you know, whatever, you know, whether it's good times and celebrate the good times or the bad times. Um, they're with me through through every step of it. And uh, I, I respect the way like that my mom and my dad brought me up because I believe I have a very good heart for, for everything. Um, even when, you know, there's these comments in the media and stuff that like, uh, people pick up on and I'm just like, I wish they knew the way that I meant it, Mm. uh, rather than the way that it came out. And I, I hate seeing things like get changed a little bit or people see a different Mm. perspective on because that's not the way I was ever brought up. And, uh, then I feel bad if like my, my mom sees something like that I might say or kind of said, and she sees it in the way that the media portrays it or fans Mm. portray it. And I'm just like... I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry that uh, you kind of see it in that way. But uh, yeah, I, I just, I think the main main thing is the way that they brought me up. They were strict when they needed to be and also forgiving when they needed to be and so on. Yeah, I think that helped me be uh, a good person. So we're recording at the end of February 2023 and yep. the Formula One season is fast approaching. What are your hopes for the season and beyond? Hopes for the season. Always so difficult at this mm. point, just because I have no idea how we're going to do. My hopes are high because... It's a new season. We have new goals, new ambitions. But Formula One is not a sport where like, everything can turn around in one year, but sometimes you also know that it takes time. Mm. And uh, I'm not the most patient guy, but I've had to learn to be a yeah. lot more of uh, since coming into F1. 
So I know that like things take time and things take a season. They can take two, three years to achieve one goal, mm-hmm. for example. So like for, for now, all my goals are to constantly help the team in every way possible, help every person here uh, in any way possible and be part of the team, you know, to to help the team. Because for, for me, my goal is also to be part of the story of bringing McCarran from where they were a few years ago, which was mm-hmm. back of the grid, you know, fighting for last place at times, to winning races again, yeah. and winning championships and bring McLaren back to, you know, where they were several years ago with Senna or with, with Hakkinen, um, with Lewis, uh, with Alonso, like all these times when history was made, like that's where I want to bring McLaren back to and I want to be part of that journey. So that's my goal, but it's not a short, short-term goal. It's something that takes years. Yeah. So for me, my goal is just to con- continue uh, to be part of it, do my my part, because uh, you have, what, 800,000, 900,000 people all part of a Formula 1 team. So I'm one little, one little dot in it, but uh, yeah, just play my part and... Um, helping everywhere I can. Well, best of luck for that. And thank you so much for coming on Made With Love. And if you ever have time on your little trips, Uh I say little trips, I've got you a knitting kit. (laughs) So see if you can start to learn to knit. Thank you. What's... um, In there, you can What's your advice? Patience. Yeah. Okay. So you're really challenging me here. Patience. But yeah, there's a kit there to make your own little hat. Hat. Okay. Damn, I'm gonna fully kitted out. <laughs> you'll you'll be, be going knitted in, out. You'll be yeah, exactly. You'll I'm be in, gloves, hat, scarf, I socks. I was gonna knit you a, a like a hat for your helmet. <laughs> but then for the helmet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the next one when it gets Keep really it warm. Thanks. What colours we got? We've got some grey, so it's just Oh, I love you know, grey. It's just like a everyday wearable hat. But okay, man. I'll, I'll, I'll update the world and I'll update you on my <laughs> knitting uh, progression. <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. Cheers. It was so cool to hang out with you, Lando, at McLaren HQ of all places. So big thanks to him and of course to you as well for listening. I love hearing your thoughts on the series so far. So please do leave a review and give us a rating. It will help more people to find the podcast as well. Made with Love was hosted by me, Tom Daly, produced by Emma Roberts for Spiritland Productions, and our engineer today was Tom Ross. I really hope you can join me again next week for more chats about making the thing you love the thing you do. I'll catch you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.